Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. of education with 100% online master's or specialist degrees in fields like teaching, leadership, higher education, and more. More information at rebelteacher.com. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Tuesday, February 26th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, we'll hear from residents just starting to recover after a devastating tornado. And that tornado ripped through people's lives. It ripped through my friend lights. It took houses up from the root and throwed them all across the neighborhood. Then learn the latest from the state capitol as the legislative session continues. And after a Mississippi story Corps, find out how the state health department will use a new center and some new tactics to reach vulnerable Mississippians. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Governor Phil Bryant is declaring a state of emergency for areas affected by a series of storms that swept through North Mississippi, claiming one life. More than 35 counties in Mississippi are trying to recover from the storms, which brought tornadoes and flooding over the past week. So far, 500 homes, 200 roads and bridges, and 30 businesses are affected statewide. A tornado tore through the North Mississippi town of Columbus, where one person was killed. Yolancer Nixon lives there. Nixon says she fared better than others with little physical damage to her home. She tells MPB's Jasmine Ellis about what's going on in her home and community. Uh, lights is off and have been off ever since storm hit. No heat, no lights, no. I mean, I got clothed because my house didn't get damaged that much, but it did get them damaged. And it tore my front yard up with all my things in it, like. My tables and chairs and stuff bust into our look, you know. But I'm still reeling from the death of my husband. So that Thanksgiving Day and this come along and happen, but it haven't stopped me from knowing that long God will will be done if I pray and stay prayed up that this storm too shall pass. You know the Red Cross, um, they come in when won't nobody else come in. And that tornado ripped through people's lives. It ripped through my friend's lives. It took houses up from the root and throwed them all across the neighborhood. This young lady, she's no more than 19 or 20, in her early 20s. She had just been a week at the hospital. She was walking the street with her baby up week old, hysterical and shock. And we was trying. I got out of my car and put her and her four brothers. They was in a two-story house and destroyed it, fell on them. And I helped them get what I could, and I put them in the car. 
But, you know, at the same time, it was overwhelming because where to take them? The police were telling me the Emmerland were coming at fire truck. People was running. They were scared because they didn't know what to do, you know. Um, we ought to stay prayed up. I still say God first and all things will come unto you. Yolanda Nixon with MPB's Jasmine Ellis. John Brown is executive director of the Red Cross in North Mississippi. He says the organization's Lowndes County Shelter is open and will be available as long as people need it. He talks about how the organization is working with all kinds of people affected by recent storms. At the center here, people that register here, we uh, we just minister to their everyday needs until they get a better transition or work through their casework to uh, get back on their feet. How many people are you expecting to see? That number varies. You say we start off with a 15 one night, it'll go down, go up. People come to the shelter and get supplies and then leave uh, toiletries. Uh, the public has been great in donating water, sanitary items, uh, soap, food. And so, we, so we can, we're letting the community come in or uh, those that are registered here that are going back to their homes and trying to protect their property, so to speak, uh, to to get those items and help them along the way. So it's been a, a very, uh, very good process. Uh, we've had uh, several residents, so the number just goes up and down all day. Uh, we have lunch. We serve lunch here, so and then we serve dinner, and people are coming. Restaurants from Olive Garden to Holland's Buffet, just different places have really been great that we've uh, made agreements with to, to provide the food that's necessary. And uh, that's helping people a lot while they're trying to clean up their property and, uh, and get on their feet. How long will you all be in the area helping people regroup from, from everything and rebuild? Yeah, we're, we're in all phases of the process, so we'll, we're working with emergency management. So we'll be here as long as needed, but it may be in different stages like now is sheltering but at one point we may not need to shelter but that's this depends on the residents how they recover so we're here as long as we're needed uh but we're also be helping in uh trying to get the folks that have cases and transitional housing that type of stuff so we'll work with emergency management uh and so there there's a whole lot of facets but Believe me, the leaders are working to really take care of uh, Mayor Smith and and Cindy Lawrence, uh, EMA director, really working to make sure we take care of the residents. In in cases like this, volunteers are needed. And when I say volunteers, now Red Cross is, I would call it a professional volunteer organization because you're dealing with, you really are trained in depth. So when you, if you want to volunteer for Red Cross, we need people that are really serious about taking care of people and want the training. And you can come and volunteer at the shelter to help with different things such as cleaning cots or, or helping people just to tow things. But in a shelter, it's kind of sensitive because we have residents here. So we uh, want you to sign up the right way. The NAACP is one of those agencies we work with that we have a partnership with that if you want to volunteer through the NAACP, it's great. But um, the the main thing is doing volunteers so we can make sure that if something like this happens again, we have even more volunteers that can, that can help to set up shelters, give out food, do mobile feeding, do bulk distribution, all kinds of stuff like that. John Brown is with the American Red Cross. Thank you so much, John, for speaking with us. We appreciate it. All right. Thank you so much. In other news, a bill making its way through the Mississippi legislature could limit a landowner's liability when someone is seriously injured on their property. MPB's Desiree Frazier reports. Mississippi lawmakers in the House are debating Senate Bill 2901. House Republican Mark Baker of Brandon, an attorney, supports the measure. 
He says the Landowners Protection Act clarifies when property owners are liable for serious crimes. What we're talking about are willful, wanton, and intentional conduct. For example, if somebody comes on the property and shoots somebody or causes serious harm intentionally to somebody. Baker says the bill would require victims of a crime prove there was an atmosphere of violence at the location. There would have to be three separate felonies at the property within three years that resulted in arraignments. Baker adds property owners would also have to know the perpetrator had violent tendencies. House Democrat David Beria of Bay St. Louis is an attorney. You're never going to be able to prove that a premises owner did those things. So what we're doing here, folks, is we're creating landowner immunity. That's what this ought to be called, Landowner Immunity Act. House Democrat Ed Blackman of Canton is also an attorney. He's concerned some businesses won't put security measures in place to protect customers. There'll be some who will take advantage of it. They don't have to do anything to make sure you're entering into their business, and they've taken the precautions that a reasonable business should take to ensure or protect your safety. No other Republicans spoke in favor of the bill, SB 2901, passed 73 to 39. The measure is being held, possibly for more debate. Desiree Frazier, MPB News. Coming up, find out how the state health department will use a new center and some new tactics to reach vulnerable Mississippians. That's after a Mississippi StoryCorps. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Money Talks wants to help you with your personal finances, maybe with a better job. Could an executive search firm help? That's the topic on the next Money Talks. Our financial advisors can also answer your money questions. Email your questions to money at mpbonline.org or call during the show today at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio and on the Internet at mpbonline.org. For moments in black history, we salute Fannie Lou Hamer. The civil rights activist Fannie Lou Hamer is known for her words, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired, during her testimony at the 1964 Democratic National Convention. But the Mississippi native would also lend her voice to many freedom songs during the civil rights movement. Fannie Lou Hamer was a true champion of the people, and we salute her leadership. This has been MPB's Moment in Black History. High quality or even basic quality education has been a struggle for many in Mississippi for a long time. As a teacher, how can you inspire learning in a place where there's not an ingrained cultural respect for the learning environment? How do you inspire students who see no life-improving value in the pursuit of knowledge? These are questions that stumped teachers Kristen Tordella-Williams and Matt Hall. The pair came to teach in Mississippi from upstate New York, and they talked about it on a Mississippi stop on the StoryCorps mobile tour. I feel like my entire teaching world was kind of topsy-turvy land as soon as I got here. Procedurally, it was very different. Structurally, within the classroom, it was very different. Expectations were very different. Like expectations from the administrators or from the students? Both. Absolutely both. And my expectations of what would be provided base, you know, just the basics of becoming a teacher are all different. So I don't know if that's a a public school system thing or if that's just a school system thing or social difference from north to south. Do you think it would have been, I know you taught at a a variety of kinds of schools in New York, but 
what if you were to teach somewhere outside of New York State before coming here? Do you think that would have helped you prepare for the transition more or would it have not made a difference or been the same thing? I think there would have been an element of the same thing with the changes, but I do think that there are fundamental differences between northern education and southern education that I refuse to believe were there prior to moving here. Huh. But tell me, no, wait, wait, I'm without being too like teacher language e, you know what I mean? Could you tell what do you mean like by fundamental differences? I guess there is a popular misconception or a popular true conception in the North that Southern schools are bad. Mm-hmm. You know, Northern teachers, especially New York teachers, because the rigors that you have to go through to get licensed in New York make you pretty marketable to the rest of the country mm-hmm. because it's it's one of the hardest states to get a certification in. And I think that puts a little chip on most New York teachers' shoulders and they kind of feel like they're invincible. And, well, if I can do it in New York, I can do it anywhere. It's almost like... You've learned Spanish and you go to Portugal mm-hmm. and it's like, well, they're both romance languages and everyone there probably speaks Spanish anyway. And you realize that they are, in fact, very different languages mm-hmm. and it may feel like the same thing. You may hear Portuguese and go, oh, I, oh, I don't know what they're saying. <laughs> That's kind of how it was when I came here. It's mm-hmm. like, I, I know how to teach. I'm a very good teacher. I'm accomplished. I I worked with the lowest of the low. I've worked with the unmotivated. I, mm-hmm. I'm ready for this. And to encounter students who, by the time I get them, are so even resistant to learning and so dependent on the cell phones and the social media, which the northern students have as well, Mm -hmm. but it never felt like such a battle between holding their attention on me rather than what's going on on their phone or on their Twitter or whatever. So somewhere along the way, there are big differences in how these things are possibly dealt with or policed within the classroom or even in homes, but they're quite different. It's really hard for me to put my finger on why. You know, I I could find a a very charismatic student, easy to talk to, but no less likely to need disciplining in the classroom because they're on their phone, they're out of their seat, they're talking, they leave the room. They just don't fill anything into the test. They don't fill anything in. And I, I think that's a much more common scenario here than it has been in my experience in the North. Students who will leave entire assignments blank. They were there. I definitely have had them in the last 15 years of teaching, but probably this one year I have had that happen 20 times more than in all the other years combined. And you've been teaching for how long? Uh, it's my 16th year. I've seen the toll it takes on you because it's extremely depressing. Mm-hmm. It's really it depressing. Is. And I can't even imagine how it would feel to have such disrespect for you as a person. You know what I mean? Like as a person with feelings, because I don't I think when you're a student, you really think about your teacher as having like a complex emotional interior life. You know, like you're just there as this authoritarian figure in this classroom. And it is, and I don't can be think, very much of a battle. And I don't think most of them even see you as an authoritarian figure yeah. in the classroom. They see you as something of an educational janitor <laughs> that you're there and you're supposed to do something for them. Yeah. For them, not with them. For them. And yeah. when it's not convenient for them. It's not a priority for them. It becomes very difficult. They throw things on the ground in the classroom, and when asked to pick them up, oh, that's why we have janitors. And it's like the janitor comes to your room maybe once a month. Well, yeah, they're, <laughs> they're very short-staffed. I, I kind of feel in that same boat where you know they just show up and oh, I don't, I didn't bring a pencil. All right, well, here's a pencil. I didn't bring any paper. All right, here's a piece of paper. I didn't bring my notes. Okay, here's notes. It's you know they they have this. 
I don't even want to say it's entitlement because it's basic necessities. They just don't have them. And it's not that they don't own them and they can't afford them in most cases. It's that they just, I didn't feel like bringing my bag. Yeah, because they don't have lockers. They don't have lockers. Uh, the lockers are there. They're not allowed to use them. There have been some It's just so different from issues. like our experience in high mm-hmm. school, too. And I think when you live in like New England and New York, you don't really think about Mississippi except like as a joke. They're coming here and people here can be really wonderful and they can be really mm-hmm. not wonderful, just the same as in New York State. People but like, are people, yeah. Yeah. I mean, but the needs here are, instead of being the butt of a joke, it'd be nice if people treated Mississippi like a state, not like, oh, haha, you're 49th out of 50. Yeah. That sucks to be you, you know? But there is like, how do we change? I don't know. It's like, how, how do we move forward? I just don't know. Nor do I. To hear more of our conversations from the StoryCorps mobile tour, go to mpbonline.org. The StoryCorps mobile tour visited Mississippi through a partnership with the Mississippi Humanities Council, the MPB Foundation, and Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Donating your change to MPB just got better. Visit mpbonline.org slash support. Change donors are now change sustainers with instant benefits like passport streaming video and home delivery of our fine-tuning program. If you'd like to give a set amount every day, now you can. Donations are charged directly to your card, which means you can earn points and a tax deduction. Visit mpbonline.org slash support and become an MPB change sustainer today. I'm Jeremy Hobson. Chicagoans head to the polls to cast their ballots in the mayoral election, and the current mayor, Rahm Emanuel, is not on the ballot, but 14 other people are. They're offering solutions for crime, corruption, police reform, and income inequality. We'll start our special broadcast from Chicago next time on Here and There. Today at noon on MVB Think Radio. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippians are more likely than other Americans to have heart disease, according to America's health rankings. But many of them may not know or may not be closely monitoring their symptoms. The Mississippi State Department of Health is hoping a new community engagement center will provide a model for how health care providers can reach vulnerable people in their communities. Dr. Victor Sutton is with the health department. He talks about how the new center in central Mississippi is reaching out to people. We're going to target the Jackson Heart study target communities, which is Madison, Rankin, and Hines. But we're also going to work statewide beyond those communities as well. We're going to be serving the residents and the communities within those particular counties. How long has the Jackson Heart Study been going on? The Jackson Heart Study overall has been going on for next year. It'd be 20 years. It's actually the the largest single-site ongoing community-based study on cardiovascular disease among African Americans in the, in, the, in the country. What services are going to be available through the Community Engagement Center? We're going to have a number of different um, activities and evidence-based programs that's going to involve working with barbers, um, enlisting barbers to um, look at blood pressure screenings and education and, and testing their customers and, and um, linking them to medical homes. We're going to work with the faith-based community, uh, clergies, Doing, doing similar programs around education and chronic disease support, even classes around chronic disease self-management and some of those activities to include screens and education for various congregations. 
Uh, we're going to uh, enlist the help of community health workers that we can train and, and serve as kind of patient navigators and patient facilitators uh, to help support these outreach activities and to, again, link these folks to, to medical homes. You mentioned barbers right at the start. Yeah. Why barbers? Because they're ingrained in a community? You're reaching people through easier through that way? I think that's a great question. One of the things that we found out is that when we're trying to reach various sectors of the community, oftentimes when we're looking at African-American men, it's really hard to reach that group. We found that barbershops and barbers and those kind of places are uh, where African-American men congregate. There's a safe space historically for, for in African-American communities. And so it's, been, it's offered a great opportunity to, um, to reach uh, a segment of the population that sometimes can be really difficult to um, to reach and to get them connected to medical homes and getting their, getting their blood pressure checked and, and other issues like that. So now, we target barbers for the, for one of those, that reason. How, how, tell me how that process will work. Someone's getting their hair cut, and the barber's going to bring up these things. Well, let me let me step take a little fur, a step further back. Sure. Um, we're we're going to bring the barbers in, and they're going to have them go through a training. Uh, in the past, we've had trained. We've had UMC as a partner that have trained our barbers. Um, we've had uh, American Heart Association to we'd talk with them about training barbers. But make it, not that they're going to be medical professionals, but just lay health advocates. Um, in some places, they have um, uh, automatic blood pressure cuffs, um, and we have folks that work with them when they're doing screening events as incentives various programs. Sometimes they offer a free haircut to, get, to enroll into a program to get regularly checked and those kind of things. So there's, a, there's an aspect of training and education that takes place with the barber so they can be informed with the correct information and then they're then reaching out to the folks that they have, you know, rich, deep, ongoing and intergenerational relationships because not only the fathers go, but they bring their sons. And when and when the fathers no longer go, their sons continue to go because they're being picked up and dropped off. So it's it's a wide spectrum of what you can get in barbers as it relates to African-American young men and older men. You're also reaching out to the African-American community. What about women, African-American women? A lot of different things that we have when we talk about congregational opportunities. A lot of those opportunities that we have are sometimes we, we train congregational health nurses, meaning that we find nurses in, in congregations and and they become health advocates and, and develop health ministries. Um, we have, again, around mayoral health councils, is more of a population-based type activity around policies, around whether that's smoke-free policies, whether there's opportunities to create shared use and joint use agreements in communities. And what that is, is basically in a lot of rural communities or some communities, you may not have a gym or you may not have a a workout place or or 24-hour workout place, but you do have schools, and oftentimes those schools have tracks and there's gymnasiums, and so there's opportunities to kind of open up that space to the community to offer a safe place to walk and exercise and, and that kind of thing. So, Dr. Sutton, this focuses right now on the Jackson metro area, the county surrounding. What about the rest of the state? Do you see this expanding? With this particular partnership with the Engagement Center, we're with the um, with the funds that we have, we have target communities that we're working in that's prescribed by the funding source. Um, but as the health department, we work and have programs statewide. 
and they come in many forms and they come in many different partnerships. So this is just kind of one aspect of what the Community Engagement Center is going to do because a piece of that is going to be trying to share the work. It's going to be uh, rigorous evaluation. It's going to be looking at trying to um, sh um, share this work into the literature, meaning publications, manuscripts, abstracts, and so we do. But we and that's going to happen in the target Jackson Heart Study um, research community area. But there, but as a health department, we have programs and have opportunities that take place statewide that that replicates some of the things that we're going to be doing with the Jackson Heart Study through the Community Engagement Center. Dr. Victor Sutton is the principal investigator with the Community Engagement Center and the Jackson Heart Study through the Mississippi State Department of Health. Dr. Sutton, thank you very much. Thank you so much for um, speaking with me today. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Money Talks. Then at 10, it's In Legal Terms. And at 11, stay tuned for Relatively Speaking from Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online by visiting mpbonline.org. You can also download the MPB Public Media app from the Apple or Google Play stores, or you can subscribe to Mississippi Edition in your favorite podcasting app. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 8.30 for the next Mississippi Edition, only on MPB Think Radio. Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education with 100% online master's or specialist degrees in fields like teaching, leadership, higher education, and more. More information at rebelteacher.com. MPB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission.